0: Yeah, let's be a life, no gimmick. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Triple S Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Smith. I just want to start off by saying happy holidays, Merry Christmas to everyone out there listening. Hopefully you guys all got to enjoy some nice time with family and friends and get some good food and uh, you got the presents that you were hoping for And the people that got your presents were happy with what you got them. So today, we're going to dive into this past week in sports. We're going to talk about football, you know, NFL football, college football. We're going to talk a little bit about the NBA, uh, which started up last week. And we're going to talk about the last UFC card of the year, how it went down. So let's get right into it. Week 15 in the NFL started off with a bang. Uh, The LA Chargers took on the Las Vegas Raiders. That was a great game, ended up going to overtime, Uh, and I think the main storyline of this game was that Derek Carr, for the Las Vegas Raiders, looked to pull his groin, or he had some type of groin injury early in the game, and Marcus Mariota, y'all remember him from the Tennessee Titans? He's a backup in Las Vegas. He stepped in, and for the most part, he looked really, really good. Uh, When it came down to it, though, in crunch time, he ended up throwing an interception that should have cost Vegas the game in regulation. Uh, The Chargers were able to return the the interception for quite a few yards. Uh, Mariota did end up getting the tackle to save the touchdown. And the the Chargers got into field goal range to get a potential game winner. And of course they missed. Classic Chargers type football. But they ended up getting the win in overtime anyway. Justin Herbert looked great, I have to say. Uh, Although the Raiders' defense is, is very, very bad and they're dealing with a lot of injuries, Herbert still looked really good, and he had a huge throw in overtime to set up the game-winning field goal. Uh, Really, really good game overall by him. Next game, we're going to talk about my team, the Miami Dolphins, with a 22-12 win over the New England Patriots. And this game was sweet for for quite a few reasons. Uh, If you you know anything about uh, NFL football and the Patriots, one thing that a lot, a lot, a lot of people love to talk about is, oh, Bill Belichick is so good against rookie quarterbacks. He doesn't he doesn't lose to the rookie quarterbacks. He's so good. He knows how to game plan against them. And Tua Iloa, rookie quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, although it wasn't a stellar game for him, he was able to, you know, overcome adversity, throw an early interception, came back, had two rushing touchdowns, and lead his team to a win, uh, and he was the sixth rookie quarterback to ever beat Bill Belichick. And, you know, when I when I heard that, uh, you know, he was, I think, 19-5 and five before the last Sunday against rookie quarterbacks, I wanted to go in and see who those five were. And you might be surprised to know that the last rookie quarterback to beat him was actually Geno Smith. Geno Smith of the New York Jets. So as soon as I saw that, I kind of took that whole old Belichick against rookie quarterbacks with a grain of salt because if he could lose to Geno Smith, he could lose to anybody. So... Although it's a good record nonetheless, and Bill Belichick deserves a lot of credit, uh, let's not act like he can't lose to rookie quarterbacks. He did last Sunday, and he did to Geno Smith. And there was was a few other names there that are escaping me right now that were not the greatest quarterbacks in the world that beat him as rookies. Uh, The other reason that this game was so sweet is because the New England Patriots are now mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. That is not something we've been able to say for... Let me see 12 years since 2008 the Patriots have made the playoffs every single season but that comes to an end this year Miami Dolphins put a halt to it the Patriots fall to 6 and 8 and they the best they can do now is become a 500 team the not so fortunate part about this result is that you know as someone that's I'm not I wouldn't say I'm a Cam Newton lover but I was definitely a fan of his back in the day when he had those great years in, uh, in Carolina. Unfortunately, this may spell the end of Cam Newton as a starter. Maybe a team takes a chance on him next year. I don't believe it'll be New England. I think they're going to go a different route, whether it's Stidham or the draft or free agency, but uh, or via trade as well. But I don't think that Cam Newton will be the 2021 starter for the New England Patriots. And based off what he put out this year, it was not great. I'm not sure how many teams are going to be vying for Cam Newton's services. So that's the kind of downside of this game and this season as a whole for the New England Patriots. The next game we're going to talk about is going to seem really, really eerily familiar for a lot of people. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers led by Tom Brady with a huge comeback win 31-27 over the Atlanta Falcons. Where have I heard this before? Hmm. 28 to 3. Tom Brady is just one for you know letting the Atlanta Falcons think that they have a big lead, they're gonna win, and then coming back. And I even saw this picture, I'm gonna pop it up right here. It's going around on social media, and it's a picture of Tom Brady from the Super Bowl against the Falcons when they're losing big. And then right beside it is it It seems like the almost identical picture, minus the Patriots uniform, you know, give him a Tampa Bay uniform, of Tom Brady, you know, in the same posture, hanging his head on the sidelines when they were down big to the Falcons this time around. And in both cases, he's able to pull off unprobable comeback wins. Well, I don't even know if I could say unprobable, because when you have a lead against Atlanta, you should almost feel like you're winning the game. But uh, nonetheless... At two different points in that game, Tampa Bay was down 17-0 to start, and then they were also down 24-7. So they scored to make it 17-7, and then Atlanta scored 24-7. So they had two separate 17-point leads, and then the final score ends up being 31-27. Like, Atlanta, I don't know what it is, if it's the coaching, if it's the players, if it's Matty Ice. Something's got to change. Something drastic's got to change, because that team cannot close out a football game, and it's getting kind of embarrassing. One other thing I wanted to note about this game is that AB and Tom Brady finally start to look like they have a a pretty good connection. They had a deep ball touchdown, and it really looked like some vintage AB. And if you guys saw that, his celebration in the end zone, you could tell that he's been really, really waiting for that play, you know, that big long ball touchdown play to kind of get him going. And uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, if they are to win this week in week 16, they clinch their spot in the playoffs. I think that they're a sneaky good team. Honestly. A lot of people might think I'm crazy for saying that, but I think at the beginning of the year they were looked at as favorites. They've done their fair share of losing and you know playing poorly in prime time to get everyone off of their hype train. But maybe that's just what a team like that needs. Maybe they they were playing poorly under the pressure, but now that you know they still have Tom Brady, they have Antonio Brown, they have weapons everywhere, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Leonard Fournette. Ronald Jones, if he can get back off the uh, injured reserve uh, COVID list, they have a team, and their defense is very, very strong. They have a team that can make a playoff run, and especially if no one is really paying too much attention to them, I think that this could be a sneaky good playoff team if they can get in there. Now, do I think that's the case? Maybe not, but I just think it's an interesting take, and it's possible. This next game is really, really uh, good for me as a Dolphins fan to talk about in some ways, but also it's hard for me to talk about as a Deshaun Watson fan uh, a tough tough loss for the Texans once again they lose to the Colts for the second time in 3 weeks by one score and in both games they're in the red zone they have a chance to you know in the in the first game 2 weeks ago they had a chance to win the game they were down 20 to 6 a touchdown and the extra point wins the game Deshaun Watson you know bad snap or whether he fumbled the snap I, I can't quite remember but there was a bad uh, exchange at the snap. Fumbled the ball, recovered by the Colts, game over. This week, the Colts are up 27-20. to The Texans have the ball in the red zone. Deshaun Watson completes a pass to Kiki Kuti, makes a couple guys miss. He's on the one or two yard line, and then Darius Leonard, the all-pro linebacker, comes from behind and punches the ball out. Colts recovered in the end zone, game over. That's two heartbreaking division losses for the Texans to the Colts this year. It just, it makes me, it makes my heart really, really hurt for Deshaun Watson because he's doing everything he can. He doesn't have the weapons that he once had. You know, we already know DeAndre Hopkins is gone. Will Fuller is suspended for the rest of the year. Uh, they even got rid of Kenny Stills. So this team is, is decimated in terms of weapons. So, really, really, my heart goes out to Deshaun Watson. But at the same time, keep losing. Help that Miami Dolphins draft pick you gave us for Laramie Tunsil. So it's, it's kind of a uh, bittersweet. And although it's a tough loss for the Texans, give credit to the Colts. You know, that team is playing really well right now. They're trying to keep pace in the AFC South with the Tennessee Titans. And we're going to talk about that when we talk about Week 16. But they, I think they have a good chance to actually win that division, even though they currently sit in the wildcard spot. And I'll talk about why in just a moment. When I talk about this next game, I'm going to try my best not to laugh, but there's just something so funny about it. Uh, The New York Jets, J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 got a win that I don't think any of their fan base wanted. Uh, 23-20 over no other than the Los Angeles Rams, who looked like before this game to be an NFC favorite. Funny story, uh, I'm in a fantasy football league, and we have a group chat on Facebook. And someone in the group chat before Week 15 said that they think that the LA Rams are honestly a favorite, you know, even over the Packers, over uh, the Seahawks and some of the other teams to be the NFC champion and potentially take on Kansas City or whoever comes out of the AFC. And right after that gets said, they go and lose to the Jets 23-20. to And, you know, I know I just said that the Jets fan base cannot be more displeased with that win, but... Take it from a Miami Dolphins fan who last year, you know, our team was... They, everyone said that, you know, oh, Alabama could beat them. Most college football teams could beat them. They're trying to lose. They're horrible. Worst football team we've ever seen. That team went 5-11. and 11. And, you know, even though it may have... It, it could have potentially hurt our draft pick. We may not have gotten Tua. We got lucky we still got him. But the thing is, I think that even though it affected the draft stock... It did something for the team's morale moving forward that, you know, is more valuable potentially than a draft pick. Now, I do realize I'm talking about Trevor Lawrence here, which is a very, very valuable draft pick. But there is something to be said for, you know, that moral victory of, you know, guys like Mekhi Beckton, young guys on that team who are going to be there for the long haul that know, you know, if we put in the work, we have a good week, we can beat anybody, we can we can have success in this league. So I think that's very valuable. ...to to that team moving forward, even though they may now lose out on the first overall pick. And for the Rams, this was a humongous loss. Had they won that game, they would have probably... I I believe they would have stayed in first place in the NFC West. They still have to play Seattle. They would have had a really good shot to control their destiny to take that division. Now, they're a game back of Seattle. They still have to play Seattle. So, to me, I, I don't see... Unless Seattle collapses, I don't see a way that they lose out on the division... But, I mean, it is possible. But that loss to the Jets, is I think it really might come back and really, really bite the Rams in the butt. Next up is my pick for game of the week. It was a really, really good game. It was the Kansas City Chiefs that went all the way to New Orleans to take on the uh, New Orleans Saints. The final score was 32-29. to And one of the reasons I really like this game is because it was back and forth. You know, the Chiefs had the lead, uh, then the... Uh, New Orleans Saints had a chance to tie it up just before halftime when the punt returner for the Chiefs, I believe it was Demarcus Robinson, inexplicably was running around sideways and backwards at his own 10-yard line, I think it was, and the Saints special teams, give them credit, they went down and they forced the fumble, and when the ball was punched out, it rolled all the way into the end zone. There was about four or five Saints running towards the ball, not a Kansas City Chief in sight. And uh, unfortunately for the Saints, the guy that jumped on the ball, it squirted out right after he jumped on it and went out of the back of the end zone. They still got two points for the safety, but they went into halftime down 14-9 instead of being tied 14-14. Now, like I said, this was a back and forth game. So the Saints came out in the third quarter and they put up six points to take the lead 15-14. They missed out on the two-point conversion, so the score remained 15-14. And then there was some more back and forth. The Chiefs ended up winning, as I said, 32-29. And honestly, if if that's a preview of what the Super Bowl could be, I would be very pleased with that. That was a good game. You know, get to see Drew Brees against uh, Patrick Mahomes again. And I'm not quite sure on the timeline, but maybe by the Super Bowl, Michael Thomas can make some kind of miraculous return. I got to look into that injury and see how severe it is. But I know he's on IR. But IR is a minimum of three weeks, and then you can come back. So there's a potential for Mike uh, Thomas to come back again. I haven't looked into the injury, so I'm not sure if it's season-ending for sure. But it would be kind of cool if they played again, this time with Mike Thomas. This next game was almost up there for Game of the Week. Uh, the only th- reason it didn't get Game of the Week is because all most of the scoring happened in the first half, and then there was only 13 points scored in the second half. But the uh, Arizona Cardinals took on the Philadelphia Eagles, and they got the 33-26 win. I want to give Jalen Hurts a shout-out. He had over 400 total yards, you know, passing and rushing combined, and four total touchdowns, three passing, one rushing. He had a, uh, a very, very good game against his fellow Oklahoma quarterback, Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray did some numbers as well, though. And, you know, at the end of the day, what really counts and what both of those guys would really want is the win. And the game winner was a pass from Kyler Murray to DeAndre Hopkins. It was a crazy catch. It was classic DeAndre Hopkins. He's so good at those contested catches. It doesn't matter if a defender is all over him. He's going to come down with it most of the times. And uh, for those of you who remember, go back and look at the Houston Texans versus New York Jets game last year. And DeAndre Hopkins had a crazy contested catch in that game. This catch reminded me a lot of that one. Uh, very similar And in, in that the defender was draped all over him, but it didn't matter. DeAndre Hopkins with the strong hands came down with the winner and the Cardinals win. And the last game of Week 15 was another huge upset. Uh, I think the football gods might have sprinkled just a little bit too much upset juice inside of the Week 15 schedule because the Cincinnati Bengals pulled off a 27-17 win over the Pittsburgh Steelers. Pittsburgh has now lost three straight. Pittsburgh has now lost three straight. You heard me right. This team started off 11-0, and now they're sitting at 11-3. They're also in danger of losing the division title, which no one thought was going to happen. They're only a game up of the Browns right now. The Browns are sitting at 10-4. Pittsburgh is sitting at 11-3. And those teams still have to play each other in Week 17. On top of all that, this week in Week 16, which I'll talk about, the Pittsburgh Steelers have to play no slouch at all. They play the Indianapolis Colts, which is a losable game, although they do play at home. So, the Pittsburgh Steelers should be and probably are sweating quite a bit. I have one other thing to note. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, bruh, bruh. This man came out and said, oh, I'm going to keep dancing. I'm, I'm not going to stop being me. He came out with all that talk. You know, he expected to obviously beat the Cincinnati Bengals. Came out, did what he did, danced on the logo in pregame. And Von Bell, I thought it was so perfect because Von Bell, he had a statement in... Uh, in one of his interviews saying that, you know, it is what it is. He's going to do what he's going to do. But all we can do is go out in uh, in between the white lines and hit him. And that's exactly what Von Bell did. If you guys haven't already seen it, I'm sure most people have seen it on Instagram or Twitter. But uh, Juju Smith-Schuster on third down runs a crossing route. Von Bell from his safety position, I guess he had just a middle read. Comes down and just absolutely lights Juju Smith-Schuster's head up. It was a crazy hit, forced the fumble. It was initially called incomplete, but upon review, he took two steps and tucked the ball to complete the process of a catch. Then Von Bell lit him up, forced fumble, Cincinnati recovered. And when you look at Pittsburgh, it's, it's hard to pinpoint like, what's going on. like What's the problem? And I think it's a few things. For one, ever since Bud Dupree got injured, that defense has not looked the same. TJ Watt's production has been down. Uh, he used to have you know, another premier pass rusher on the other side. I know they still have Cameron Hayward and they still have some other good pass rushers, but losing Bud Dupree, who was having one of the best years of his career so far, definitely, definitely hurt that defense. Um, on top of that, I think that Pittsburgh kind of lacks a true number one receiver. I can't say it's Juju after the way he's played this year. Deontay Johnson, you know, at the beginning of the year, I was telling some of my friends, he was my prediction for having a breakout year. And, you know, he's he's had a decent year. I wouldn't wouldn't say I was correct in saying breakout year. But, I mean, James Washington doesn't seem to get a lot of targets. He doesn't seem to really be uh, a huge, huge receiver for them. I feel like they have a lot of twos and threes in terms of, you know, number two and number three receivers. But they don't have a true number one. Eric Ebron also had zero catches on the day. Uh, He had a, a really, really quiet day. So I think that the receiving targets need to step up. They would really help to have James Conner back as well because the run game hasn't been as great as it once was. All right, so now for Week 16. So you guys are getting this on Saturday in the afternoon. So we would have already seen the Week 16 uh, starter game on Friday night or uh, Friday afternoon, excuse me. The New Orleans Saints against the Minnesota Vikings. This was a big, big bounce-back game for the New Orleans Saints. They came off a tough three-point loss to the Kansas City Chiefs in Week 15, and they wasted no time getting their vengeance this week. They had a 52, 52 52-33 win over the Minnesota Vikings. The storyline of this game was Alvin Kamara with six rushing touchdowns, well over 100 yards. He tied the NFL rushing touchdown in a game record. Uh, and the Saints put up seven total touchdowns. Taysom Hill had the other one, and you know, I think that Mike Zimmer said it best when he said about his defense post game that they look pathetic. He said that it was the worst dis- defensive display he's ever seen, and I mean, honestly, it's hard to argue with that. You give up seven rushing touchdowns in a game that eliminates you if you lose and keeps you somewhat in it if you win. That's not a good look. Uh will Zimmer still be there and you know having a job next year? I'm not sure because it's not like they have any huge, huge injuries. You know, they're they're pretty much at full strength. You know, they have good receivers, they have what they thought or what was supposed to be their, their solid quarterback, they have good pieces on defense, but they just can't seem to be hanging in with the big boys in the NFC. Oh, and, and all this without even mentioning that they have one of the best running backs in the league in Dalvin Cook. So I mean, they have all these stuff in place, all these things in place, but they just, again, like I said, they can't seem to get it done against the the top teams in the NFC. So now we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, rest of the games on the Week 16 docket. Uh, So we have three games on Saturday. You know, we had the one game on Friday. So Saturday starts off at 1 p.m. It's probably already going because it's currently 1.04 while I'm recording this. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are taking on the Detroit Lions. Um... I haven't checked the score yet so this is kind of interesting. The game might not have even started yet but I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to run away with this one. Uh, They know that they clinch a playoff spot if they win this game as I was talking about before and I just see them building off of you know that comeback win that they had uh, where AB got going, Tom Brady looked good in the second half and that defense looked like what we thought that defense would be all year. So. The next big game on Saturday, my team, the Miami Dolphins, play in primetime. They're the third of three games. They play against the Las Vegas Raiders in Vegas. Uh, Huge game for both teams. And honestly, both teams need a win. If the Dolphins don't win, uh, I really don't see them getting into the playoffs over Baltimore because Baltimore has a really easy schedule. But we'll get to that in, uh, in a little bit. So if Miami loses this game and Baltimore beats the Giants... Uh, Miami can pretty much say goodbye to the playoffs. And for the Raiders, they literally need to win this game or they're mathematically eliminated. So this is a huge game for both sides. Uh, The Raiders are banged up on defense. I went through the injury report. Cleveland Farrell is out. They have uh, Morrow, their linebacker is out. There was a couple other linebackers that were out. Some DBs were out. A bunch of guys on injured reserve in the COVID list. So this defense is banged up. And on the other side, the Dolphins are just starting to get healthy at the right time on offense. So this could be, you know, a huge swing. The Dolphins had Devontae Parker, Mike Isiki and Jakeem Grant. All three of those guys were out last week. But it looks like those three are going to play. There was photos of them getting on the plane to Vegas. So, you know, I don't think they would travel them all the way to Vegas if they weren't probable to play. Maybe one or two of them don't play. Who knows? But I think there's a good chance that most of those guys play. Uh, the other injury storyline is whether Derek Carr will play or not. So, at the beginning of the week, a lot of people were saying that, you know, it was a very severe groin injury. It's probably going to be Marcus Mariota playing this game. And, oh, that'd be kind of cool because it's two Polynesian quarterbacks. Then, Derek Carr came out and said he really wants to play. And I think we all know Derek Carr is kind of a tough guy. You know, he, he plays through some injuries at times. And by Thursday's practice, he was a full participant. So I believe he was on Tuesday he didn't practice. Then he was limited on Wednesday. And then on Friday, he was a full participant, I believe. And he's actually not even on the injury report for this game. So he's healthy. Will he play though? That's the other question. John Gruden said in an interview that he's not gonna he's not going to you know lay his cards out until he has to on who's gonna be the quarterback for Saturday's game. The next game I'm gonna talk about is the Colts taking on the Steelers in Pittsburgh. And this game is huge, huge for the uh, AFC playoff implications, Uh, the two seed, the wild card, just in general. This game is going to be huge for for breaking down how the rest of the AFC is going to look for the playoff setting. So the Steelers, uh, what I wrote down for this one is they need to stop the bleeding. They've lost three straight. If they lose four straight... I don't know. I, I think that there's a solid chance that they don't even win their division. If they lose four straight, I don't see them beating the Browns in Week 17. They lose five straight, and then they're probably a one-game exit in the playoffs. If they the, If they, however, can get a big win against the Colts and stop the bleeding at three losses in a row and, and get a, a home win against a really solid opponent like the Colts, then maybe that's a sign that the tides have turned and that the Steelers can actually make some noise. I mean, I still don't see them going very far. I actually don't even see them winning a playoff game, even if they win today, or sorry, tomorrow. But uh, for, for their sake, this is a huge, huge game to, uh, to stop the bleeding. For the Colts, this is a huge opportunity to overtake the Tennessee Titans in the AFC South race because, as I'm going to talk about in just a second, the Tennessee Titans take on the Green Bay Packers at Lambeau Field, which is a tough place to play. I don't really see Tennessee winning that game, so sitting at the same record, if Tennessee loses tomorrow and the Colts are able to beat the Steelers, they will take a one-game lead in the AFC South with only one game remaining. So that'll be huge for the Colts if they are able to pull off a win in Pittsburgh. So the other team that would actually have a vested interest in those two games going the way that I just described, other than Indianapolis, is the Buffalo Bills. So as I said, if Indianapolis beats the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Tennessee Titans lose to the Green Bay Packers, not only is that good for Indianapolis, who will move into first in the AFC South, but if the Buffalo Bills are able to beat the New England Patriots in Week 16, they will have the number two seed in the AFC locked up. Uh, Now, I know that there's some people like uh, Chris Sims who say that other than the one seed, you know, the seeding doesn't matter, which is complete crap. Like, of course, you're going to play for seeding. He, he was saying uh, in, a, in one of his shows that uh, there's going to be a lot of meaningless Week 17 games because there's only one bye week available now. But what he fails to realize is that you know teams are going to be wanting to get to that number two or three seed because what it means is if you're the two seed, you only see Kansas City in the AFC Championship. And if by some crazy miracle Kansas City loses before then, you can even host the AFC Championship as the number two seed. So you definitely want to play for the number two seed. And as I said, if Buffalo wins, Green Bay wins, and Indianapolis wins, Buffalo enters week 17 uh, locked up in the number two overall seed in the AFC. So this next game has a lot to do with the playoff race as well. We have the New York Giants going to Baltimore to take on the Ravens. The New York Giants are one game back of the Washington football team in the NFC Least division race, so they're definitely going to be looking for a win with only two games left, and the Baltimore Ravens need to win out and hope that Miami loses a game to sneak into the playoffs as the number seven seed, so both of these teams are going to be fighting really, really hard, Uh, I do see uh, Baltimore running away with this one, although I do think it'll be a sneaky good game if Daniel Jones plays for the uh, New York Giants. If he plays, he's, que- he's listed as questionable, so he's a, maybe he'll play, maybe he won't play. If he plays, I think that could be a really good game. I still don't see New York winning, but it could be interesting because he's definitely going to be playing hard to try and sneak his team into the playoffs. Next up is my upset projection of the week. So this is a really, really fun one for me. Uh, we have in this one the Jags of Jacksonville going up against the Chicago Bears. Uh, There's a few reasons why I think that this could be a huge upset for one this game is in Jacksonville I believe so the Jacksonville Jaguars actually do have fans, you know They're playing in the state of Florida where the governor said that you know fans are allowed at games So that's number one number two In my opinion Mitch Trubisky cannot play this well for this long and continue to have that happen He's looked good for a couple weeks now, but I think the Mitch Trubisky gravy train runs dry this week, so that's number two. And number three, Minshew mania has not been in effect for quite a while, and I think that we're due for some Minshew mania or Minshew magic, whatever you want to call it. Gardner Minshew, I think he's going to show out this game at home. He wants to show the Jacksonville Jaguars or you know, any other team that might be looking on that potentially might want to pick him up if Jacksonville drafts a quarterback, which it looks likely that they will that he has something to offer to other teams as well. So I think that there's a few reasons that, you know, the Jaguars could position themselves to win this game. Now, the Jet fans out there are probably like, yes, 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 please, please let that upset happen because if the Jaguars win a game and the Jets lose out, they can move back into first overall position for the 2021 draft and they could maybe still get their guy Trevor Lawrence. Next up is my pick for Week 16's Game of the Week. We have the Los Angeles Rams taking on the uh, Seattle Seahawks. This is a huge, huge game for the NFC West title race. Uh, And it's a huge game for the LA Rams, to be honest. They're coming off a loss, to the New York Jets, as we talked about earlier. So they have a lot to prove this week. If they can come out and get a win at Seattle... I think a lot of people are going to maybe not forget about the Jets loss because that's, that's we're not going to forget about that for a little while. They're going to get laughed at for a good while for that one. But it would show people that, okay, that was just, you know, a little blip on the radar. This team is still pretty solid if they can go into Seattle and win and tie them up record wise going into week 17. On the other hand, if the Seahawks get a win, so this is a huge game for them as well, they lock up the NFC West and they you know, they win the division, which would be huge for them, they get to host the playoff game. This game, in my opinion, comes down to Jared Goff. I think he's going to be the X-factor. If he plays the way he played against the Jets, you could kiss that game goodbye if you're a Rams fan. Uh, But, you know, if he can get back on track, you know, get Cooper Cup involved, get Robert Woods involved, they can get that running game back going with Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson, Malcolm Brown, I think that they could, you know, have a potential to win this game and shock the Seahawks at home. So, but I think it really comes down to Jared Goff. If he plays how he played last week, not a chance. But if he can get back on track, you know, get his weapons involved, I could honestly see the Rams winning this game. And the last game of week 16 that I'm going to talk about is the Tennessee Titans traveling to Lambeau Field to take on the Green Bay Packers. Uh, we talked about this game a little bit before and, and the playoff implications that it has. One thing that we didn't mention though is that if the Packers are able to win, which I think they will, that'll lock up the number one seed for them in the NFC. And they'll be the only team in the NFC with a bye, which would be a huge, huge plus for them. You know, give some guys a chance to rest their nicks and bruises and get really, really healthy for a deep playoff run. For the Titans, on the other hand, they're not going to be, you know, rolling over. They're a tough team and they're going to be playing to maintain that number one spot in the AFC South. Because the the Colts are breathing down their necks right now. They have the same record, but Indiana, uh, sorry, the Tennessee Titans currently hold the tiebreaker. So they definitely want to win and you know maintain that number one spot in the AFC South. Another cool storyline is that Derrick Henry is on the race for two thousand yards. Uh, he only needs 161 yards per game in these last two games to get there. And for anyone that's watched Derrick Henry or knows what he's capable of you know that that's more than possible. He could go for 200 in a given game. So, you know, Derrick Henry, 161 times 2 or more, and he's going to reach 2,000 yards. My prediction, I don't think he'll get there. I think that against the Packers, he'll have around, you know, 70 or 80 yards. And then next week, maybe give him 100 or so. But I don't think that he, I think he'll end up just short. He'll be somewhere in the high 1,800s or or low 1,900s for total yardage uh, for the season. So that about wraps it up for the NFL segment of today's episode. Uh, now we're going to talk a little bit about college football. So last week was uh, conference championship week. So we're going to go through the conference championships that were interesting and you know talk about those a little bit. So we're going to start in the Pac-12. Uh, in this game, it was Oregon taking on the undefeated USC Trojans. And surprisingly, the Oregon Ducks were able to come up with a win and keep the USC Trojans from winning the Pac-12 and going undefeated. And usually, you know, in a in a championship game, you know, the the winning team's quarterback ends up being the MVP. Not the case in this game. Kayvon Thibodeau. uh, when he got initially recruited to Oregon, you know, there's a bunch of pictures that went around on social media of him because he's a huge beast. You know, he was a top high school player, and he's really, really done some good work at Oregon. He was the MVP of the Pac-12 championship, had a bunch of huge plays. And, you know, watching that game, all I could think is who's going to get this guy in the draft. I think he's staying for another year, if I'm not mistaken. I don't believe he's coming out in the 2021 draft. But uh, whenever he gets to the NFL, you know, the NFL is on notice from now. When you hear the name Kayvon Thibodeau in the draft, or if you hear his name, you know, in an NFL broadcast, be prepared. He's there to wreck a game. Next up, we're going to talk about none other than my favorite team in college football, the Ohio State Buckeyes in the Big Ten Championship against the Northwestern Wildcats. Uh, there was a really tight game. To be honest, I was sweating for a lot of it because Northwestern had a lead at, at times. But, you know, Ohio State did what they did. They came back and won. And it wasn't, you know, in their conventional way. You know, they're a very strong passing team. They're not really known for their rushing attack. But in this game... It was Trey Sermon, the Oklahoma transfer, who broke out for 331 yards, took home the uh, game MVP award. Uh, he picked up the slack for Justin Fields, who struggled a little bit without Chris Olave, who was out with an injury, or sorry, excuse me, it was actually COVID-related, so Olave was out for the game. Who was Ohio State's probably their top receiver, him and Garrett Wilson. So you know, Fields struggled. Trey Sermon picked up the slack and the Ohio State Buckeyes are Big 10 championships for a fourth time in a row which is a huge huge accomplishment for that team. So Ohio State stays perfect on the season moving to 6 and 0 and on top of that they not only did they maintain their spot in the college football playoff at 4, they actually improved from 4 to 3 with Notre Dame's loss, Notre Dame dropped down to 4. And but we're going to talk about that in just a second. So this next game was not a conference championship, but it was a big SEC game for number five Texas A&M. Uh, Texas A&M was trying desperately, you know, to make a push to get into the college football playoff. They're sitting at number five. You know, they were probably hoping for a win and one of the teams in the top four to lose. And number two actually played number three, so they were probably hoping, you know, we win and then the loser of Notre Dame versus Clemson drops out. Uh, but again, we're going to talk about that in a second. Uh, so they took care of their job. Texas A&M beat Tennessee 34-13 to trying to push into that playoff. And one thing I thought was pretty interesting, after the game, Jimbo Fisher was interviewed, and he gave a fiery, a very, very fiery postgame interview saying that, you know, there's some teams that didn't even play seven games, and we just won seven games in a row against the SEC. Uh, you know, he did his best to make the claim for his team to get in there, which, you know, you can't fault the guy. That's what he's supposed to do. But all that, all that uh, claiming and uh, convincing was not enough for the committee. They stayed outside of the top four. They didn't move at all. They stayed at number five. And we're going to get to the reason why in just a second. So next up, we're going to talk about the Big 12 Championship, which had Oklahoma taking on Iowa State, two teams that actually played earlier in the year with Iowa State getting the win. This time, they were not so fortunate. Oklahoma had a, a great showing Spencer Rattler showed out he had I believe two touchdowns uh, one rushing one passing if I'm not mistaken he might have had three touchdowns but he played really well uh, some of you might uh, recognize that name Spencer Rattler if you've seen the Netflix series QB1 on, uh, on Netflix uh, he was uh, very very popular on that show and uh, he has quite the following on Instagram and Twitter and all that stuff so that might be where you're, you're recognizing the name from. Uh, but he led his team to the big 12 championship and i believe he was the game mvp (sighs) so now we get into the controversy so in the acc championship we had the rematch of clemson versus notre dame so earlier in the season uh notre dame played clemson and unfortunately in that game trevor lawrence had covid so he was unable to play in the game uh, their backup DJ Yugdalele, who's another person who was on uh, the show QB1, not as a focus, but you know he was a backup uh, to one of the people that was featured on the show, uh, who ended up you know being replaced by DJ. Uh, he stepped in for the first game between Notre Dame and Clemson. He actually played really well, but it wasn't enough. you know Notre Dame was able to come away with the win in that game. This time around, Trevor Lawrence was able to play. So this was a huge, huge rematch game. Not only because it was a, a rematch, but on top of that, as I was saying, Notre Dame came into this game right number two, and Clemson came into this game number three. So the loser of this game was at risk of dropping out of the top four for the college football playoff. If you know Texas A and M was determined by the committee to look stronger than the loser of that game. So both teams were desperately fighting, you know, for their. Not only for the ACC championship, which is a huge accolade that those teams want, but also you know to stay in the running for the main prize, which is the BCS or I guess college football championship. So the game did not go as planned for Notre Dame. Uh, Clemson and Trevor Lawrence got their revenge, and they had a they had a 24 point win, 34 to 10. Notre Dame looked helpless at times. Uh, they're a running team, but they could not really get the running game going. And this this really led to some drama because, as I was saying before, Texas A&M did not move into the top four. They stayed at five. And the loser of this game, Notre Dame, dropped from two to four. Clemson moved from three to two. And Ohio State moved from four to three. So the top four just got shuffled a little bit, but nobody actually dropped out. So the reason I think that this happened, and the reason that even though it seems a bit weird and maybe unfair to... Um, Texas A&M is because they already played Alabama in Week Two of this season and they lost 52 to 24. So I'm not sure if the committee is allowed to go back and look at you know common games and say that uh, you know these teams already played. But I think that deep down Texas A&M knows that if they were to have snuck in and been the four and you know Notre Dame moved down to five. Uh, I think we already kind of know how that game would go between Alabama and Texas A&M. We already saw it earlier this year. Whereas, even though I don't see a way that Notre Dame beats Alabama, we haven't seen that game yet. So I think that might be a small part of why Notre Dame edged out uh, Texas A&M for the number four seed in the college football playoffs. So speaking of Alabama, the next game we're going to talk about is the SEC Championship game which had Alabama taking on the Florida Gators who just previously lost before to the LSU Tigers. So, you know, the way that the LSU versus Florida game went, I didn't see any way that LSU or sorry, Florida would beat Alabama, but they actually kept the game a little tighter than I think most people thought it would be. The final score was 52 to 46. So they actually put up quite a few points on Alabama's really good defense. So you know, even though I was saying the you know the game was a lot tighter than a lot of people probably would have thought, you know myself included, uh, watching the game there was always a kind of sense that Alabama was going to hold them off. You know, they they seemed to score when they needed to. They had bigger leads than you know the final lead, which was a six point win. Uh, they had bigger leads than six throughout the game, but. It just seemed that whenever Florida kind of got close, Alabama was like, okay, 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 let's uh let's put this this uh this shadow of a doubt to bed. Uh, and a big part of that was Devontae Smith, who I think should be honestly the Heisman trophy winner. I'm a little bit biased as a former receiver, and I think that you know it'd be cool to see a receiver win the Heisman. He's had a great year too. So I think in that game he had over 160 or maybe 170 yards receiving and a touchdown. So he was a big part of their success. Another huge part of Alabama's success was Najee Harris. He had five total touchdowns. He had two on the ground and he had uh, three receiving touchdowns. So Najee Harris had a huge game. And the last thing I want to talk about with this game was uh, one of the only, you know, somewhat negatives for Alabama in this game. At one point, Mac Jones threw an interception. But, and this is a big but, uh, on the interception return... A Canadian, John Mechie, the receiver from Alabama, absolutely blindsight laid out the Florida defender who got the pick, forcing a fumble, which was then recovered by Alabama for a first down. So that was a huge play. I wanted to give a shout out to my fellow Canadian, John Mechie, on that one. Alright, so now to wrap up the college football segment, I want to talk a little bit about the upcoming bowl games that are going to be going down on New Year's Eve weekend weekend. So the first one I want to talk about is number seven Florida versus number six Oklahoma in the Cotton Bowl. That one is going down on Wednesday, December thirtieth at eight p.m. I'm definitely going to try and watch that one. It's going to be exciting to see Spencer Radler take on an SEC defense for the first time. Uh, you know he plays in the Big Twelve, which has some definitely has some good football. But there, I I'm a, I'm a big time SEC homer, so I think that you know the SEC is. Where the best football and for the most part the best defensive play is at, so it's going to be interesting to see Spencer rather take on his first SEC defense. Next up, we have the Peach Bowl, which has number nine Georgia against number eight Cincinnati. Uh, that game is going down on Friday, January first, New Year's Day at 12 p.m. Uh, I haven't watched a Cincinnati game yet this year. I'll be honest with you guys, but I'm excited to watch this one and see if you know there's any real hype. Or if the the hype around Cincinnati being a potential college football playoff team was legit, uh, one of the the knocks against them is you know they play in the AAC, which is not the strongest conference. So for them to make the college football playoff would have been kind of a stretch, considering you know the competition level they play against is not the strongest. So to see them play Georgia, who is always one of the top SEC teams, I think that's going to be huge to be able to see. Were they really legit? Did they deserve more consideration? Or are they what we thought they were, which is, you know, a good team in the AAC, but not, you know, a top four team nationally. Next up is the Orange Bowl, which has number 13 UNC taking on number five, Texas A&M, who just missed out on the college football playoff. That one goes down at Saturday, uh, January 2nd at 8 o'clock. I think this is going to be a good game because I think that Texas A&M is going to be out to prove a point. Uh, they're going to be out to say, "Listen, we should have been in the playoff. Take a look at this. We're going to blow the brakes off of UNC, and it's going to be a huge win. And one thing I'm, I'm pretty excited to see is I think if they get a big win, we're going to see another really uh, fiery Jimbo Fisher post-game interview. So keep on, keep on the lookout for that as well. And now to talk about the only two bowl games that matter, the College Football Playoff Bowls. So the first one is going to be taking place on Friday, January 1st at 4 p.m. And that's going to be the Rose Bowl, which is number four Notre Dame against number one Alabama. Uh, So it's going to be an interesting game, but I think that Alabama is going to win big, to be honest. Uh, I think they're too strong running the ball. They're too strong passing the ball. They're too strong defensively for Notre Dame. Uh, I honestly think it's going to be a blowout somewhere along the lines of, you know, something in the 40s to something in the maybe mid to high teens for Notre Dame. Uh, I think it's going to be a little bit worse than the uh, Notre Dame versus Clemson blowout. My prediction uh, aside from that, I think Devontae Smith is going to go off and really solidify himself as a Heisman hopeful. Uh, Well, he's already one of the four finalists, but I think this is going to be a game where he really shows, listen, I should be the Heisman trophy winner. I'm predicting over 200 yards receiving and two touchdowns for Devontae Smith, and Alabama wins big. And the second college football playoff bowl is the Sugar Bowl, which has my team, the number three Ohio State Buckeyes, against the number two Clemson uh, Tigers. That game is going to be Friday, January 1st, same day at 8 p.m., so right after the Alabama game. Now, if you guys remember last week's episode, I talked about the possibility for this to be the matchup. I had said if Clemson beats Notre Dame, they should move to two. And, you know, Notre Dame might even fall out. And if Ohio State wins, they could move up to three. And that would be a rematch of last year's college football uh, playoff semifinal. And that's exactly what happened. So. I think that this is going to be a really cool game because, like I just said, these two teams played each other last year in the semifinal. Uh, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields have a little bit of a rivalry. You know, they played last year. Uh, they played in the Elite 11, I believe, as well. it be interesting for, for those reasons. And, you know, these are two very strong teams who are definitely going to be vying for their shot at a national championship. Now, unfortunately, as an Ohio State fan, you know, watching a few Clemson games... I don't really see Ohio State winning this game, as unfortunate as that is. Uh, if, o- if Chris Olave is back, you know Ohio State will have a chance to at least, you know, make some noise in the game. But without Chris Olave, you know, unless that run game, you know, does what it did against Northwestern, I think that Clemson runs away with this one, and we have a Clemson versus Alabama national championship game. And that just about wraps it up for the college football playoff segment of this episode of the Triple S Podcast. So now I want to touch on the UFC a little bit and talk about the last card of 2020, which was UFC Fight Night, uh, Wonderboy Thompson versus Jeff Hans of Steel Neal. One of the, the things I thought was kind of interesting. So for the second time in his last two fights, Anthony Pettis got moved at the last minute from the main card to the last fight of the prelims. Uh, so that happened to him last time he fought. It also happened in this past fight on December 19th. And I think that, you know, he had something to prove with that happening. And he came out and had a dominant win over Alex Morono. Uh, he won by decision, uh, but it, it was a dominant fight nonetheless for, for Anthony Pettis. And I think the next time he fights, he'll definitely be on a main card. I think he's had enough of being bumped to the uh, to the prelims. And with that showing, I think he's going to be getting some more uh, main card fights moving forward. So the fight that replaced him uh, on the as the first fight of the main card was Martian Tiberia versus Greg Hardy. Uh, this game, or sorry, this uh, this fight kind of went how I thought it would go. Uh, I knew that Greg Hardy was you know a very powerful, uh, very strong first round fighter. He's got some first round knockouts on his uh, on his resume. Uh, but I also knew that Martian Tabura is a very, you know, flexible guy. He's got good kicks, and he's got a little bit better stamina than Greg Hardy does. So in the first round of this fight, you know, Greg Hardy looked very strong. They were showing the tweets at the bottom of the screen, and everyone had 10-9 Hardy, 10-9 Hardy. He had uh, top position for a bit. He was landing the bigger shots for sure, but you you could tell Tabura was still in the fight. You know, he was he was feeling him out, kind of getting a feel for the timing of Greg Hardy. And I'm sure he also knows that Greg Hardy's gas tank isn't all that. So he probably knew that, you know, the longer this fight goes, the better chance I have. And, you know, that ended up being the case because in the second round, Martian Tabira got a big takedown when he noticed that Greg Hardy was tired. He was huffing and puffing. He went in, shot for the takedown, ended up getting it, and then closed out the show with some nice ground and pound and got a uh, TKO win over Greg Hardy in that one. The next fight... Uh, was a little disappointing for me. I'm a, I'm a kind of a Marlon Moraes fan. You know, I, I like to watch him fight. And, you know, the last time he fought, which I talked about on the last episode, was against Cody Sanhagen. He looked good in that fight, and then, you know, he just kind of started to fall apart right towards the end, and Sanhagen ended up TKOing him, which was eerily similar to this fight with Rob Font, uh, which he also lost by TKO. Marlon Moraes looked to be the more dominant fighter for the majority of the first round and then something just hit flipped a switch rob font's jab started connecting uh mirai's was kind of you know going in a little bit wild his timing was a little predictable trying to go in with big overhand shots and every time he was going in rob font was clipping him with the jab clipping him with the jab clipping him with the jab and then eventually one of the jabs he he landed on mirai's was right on the button and uh mirai's knees kind of buckled he started to fall rob font Saw that, jumped on him, closed out the show with a TKO win, and you could just tell Marlon Mrazz—he—he he looked defeated after that win or that loss, excuse me. Uh, that's two losses in a very similar fashion in fights where he looked good, and then you know something just kind of flips and he ends up losing the fight by TKO. So next up on the card was Michelle Pereira against Kaylin Williams, uh, and if you guys watched last week's episode, I hyped this fight up. I thought it was going to be really, really interesting you know, Michelle Pereira is one that does a lot of, uh, he does like some backflip kicks, spinning attacks, he, he has a lot of pressure in his game, and Kalen Williams is a guy who has dynamite in his gloves, this was my first time watching him fight, uh, so I thought there was no way that this fight wouldn't be, you know, an absolute banger, uh, really, really good fight, but unfortunately, for whatever reason, the two fighters seem to be kind of timid, I don't know if they were, you know, afraid of The other, the other fighters, uh, like it was. Kalen Williams afraid of Michelle Pereira doing something crazy. Was Michelle Pereira afraid of Kalen Williams' power? I'm not sure what exactly happened, but there wasn't as much action as I thought there would be. I thought there was no way this fight would go to decision, which it ended up going to, and Michelle Pereira got the win. And that decision to me was a little bit odd because I thought Kalen Williams won the fight personally, just watching it. Uh, I thought he landed the more significant strikes. I thought he landed more often for sure. But, you know, nonetheless, if you don't finish the fight, then, you know, you leave it in the hands of the judges. And that's exactly what Kalen Williams did. Even though I thought he deserved to get the win, uh, you know, he didn't get the finish. So whenever you don't get a finish, you leave it in the hands of the judges. And UFC judges, as I said last week, they've proven time and time again that they're questionable. Next up was the co main event. We had Marlon Chito Vera against Jose Aldo. Uh <laughs> this one I'm laughing because on last week's episode I said that I would be betting a small amount on Cheeto Vera to win because he was an underdog. I thought that he looked really good against uh Sugar Sean O'Malley in his last fight, and uh Jose Aldo has been on a little bit of a downturn uh, as of late, but that didn't work out as planned. Uh Jose Aldo got a win over Cheeto Vera by decision. It was a dominant win, you know, start to end. Uh, there was never a point where it was really in doubt. You know, one of those fights where the judges couldn't really mess it up, uh, and Jose Aldo had a well-deserved win. He looked kind of like the the Jose Aldo of old, and Cheeto Vera for him, I thought it was really surprising. You know, he took a step back. He looked really good against Sugar Sean O'Malley, as I said, but you know, he took a step back against um, Jose Aldo, and I'm not sure what's going to be next for him. He was ranked 15 in this going into that fight. He'll probably drop out of the top 15. And uh, I'm not sure what's next for Cheeto Vera. And last but not least, the last fight of 2020, we had Steven Wonderboy Thompson taking on Jeff Hans of Steel Neal in the main event of this fight card. Uh, This was a good fight. It went all the way to decision. Uh, Wonderboy looked dominant. He had a few of his patented, you know, spinning kicks. Um, Wonderboy is is very, very technical, and that was on display in this fight. Uh, You know, he was very good at managing range. He stayed out of Jeff Neal's range to land those big power shots that Jeff Steele, Neal, I mean, you have the name Hans-Steel Neal for a reason. So he stayed out of that range where Neal could land shots that he's known for landing. Uh, so credit to Stephen Wonderboy Thompson for a dominant win over Jeff Neal. And, you know, for, for Stephen Thompson, this is a big fight because Jeff Neal is no slouch. You know, a lot of people were probably watching this fight and saying, the winner of this fight is going to be kind of in that group of contenders right now at the top of the welterweight division. Uh, you know, Obviously the champion right now is Kamaru Usman, but then there's Colby Covington, Gilbert Burns, Leon Edwards, Jorge Masvidal. Those are kind of the top set of guys right now. And I think with a win uh, over Jeff Neal, Steven Wonderboy Thompson is going to have his name thrown in with those guys in terms of some matchups. So he might get you know Colby Covington or he might get Gilbert Burns next, who knows. Uh, what the next fight will be, but I think he's going to be in line to fight uh, a big name guy and have maybe, he might be like one, maybe two or three fights away from getting a title shot if he continues on this, uh, on this trend. And last but not least, I'm going to touch just a little bit on the NBA season, which kicked off on Tuesday, December 22nd, uh, NBA fans are definitely rejoicing right now, uh, you know, it's been uh, the shortest offseason of all time in the NBA, but You know, anytime you're a fan of a sport and they're in the offseason, it's painful. You know, you love to tune in and watch your favorite teams or even any teams play games because you love the sport, you love the league. So, the NBA was back on Tuesday, December 22nd, and the first game of the year was the Brooklyn Nets, the new-look Brooklyn Nets that now feature Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant taking on the Warriors, who now have Steph Curry healthy. This one was not close Final score was 125 to 99 for the Brooklyn Nets. Both KD and Kyrie went off in this game. Uh, KD had 22 points, five rebounds, and three assists. And Kyrie Irving had 26 points, four assists, four rebounds. So the duo looked very good in that game. And, you know, on top of that, they played their first game against the Warriors. They also played on the 25th on Christmas Day against the Boston Celtics and had a very similar scoreline. They beat the a much better team. Uh, they beat the Boston Celtics 123-95. to And again, the duo went off for a second time and they went off even more. This time, KD dropped 29, had 3 assists, 4 rebounds. And Kyrie Irving dropped 37, 8 assists, and 6 rebounds. So... I mean, right now, it's looking like the team in the East is going to be the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, I say that with a grain of salt because you never know with Kyrie. You know, he, he kind of can be a bit weird at times. Uh, but we'll see. You know, he can be kind of touch and go. But if, if everything can stay, you know, consistent and everything can stay at a good level uh, personally on the court, off the court, I think that the Nets are a dangerous, dangerous team in the East this year. And I don't think many teams want to see them when they're healthy. Some other big games around the league on opening day, we had the Clippers taking on the Lakers. They had a 116 to 109 win. Uh, Paul George definitely looked good. Looked like he's starting to earn that big new contract they gave him. He had 33 points, three assists, six boards, and uh, uh, Kawhi Leonard had a big game as well. 26 points, three assists, two rebounds. And you know, even though the Lakers lost this game. I still think that they're, in my opinion, a favorite to, to win the West this year again because they still have Anthony Davis, they still have LeBron James, uh, they have Marcus Sol now, Dennis Schroeder, who I think is a very, very good player as well, still have KCP, they got Montrez Harrell. I'm not a big Kyle Kuzma fan, but you know he could give you some valuable minutes. And I, I'm big on Wesley Matthews and I'm big on Alex Caruso as well. So I think that they're a deep team. But they have some new faces, you know, the Clippers, they look a lot more similar to how they looked last year. They have some new additions as well, but their main core is pretty much the same. So I think that, you know, it's going to take some time for the Lakers to gel. But I think come end of the season or, you know, mid-season, I think they're going to start to look really good and make a push to win the West once again. On day two of the regular season for the NBA, the uh, Boston Celtics took on the Milwaukee Bucks. And that was a really, really good game. Went right down to the wire, and the Boston Celtics got a 122 to 121 win over the Bucks. Uh, I thought it was really cool that you know, going into the last few seconds, the Celtics were down 119 to 120. They were down by one point, and Jason Tatum hits a clutch three, looking like Paul Pierce uh, with the bank shot game winner. Uh, I don't think he meant to bank it in, but he kind of just chucked up the three, hit the bank, went in. They took a two-point lead. Uh, On the other end of the court, there was, I believe, 0.4 seconds left. So the Milwaukee Bucks threw the ball up towards the rim for Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, He tried to tip the ball in, but was fouled. They were in the bonus. He had two free throws. He needed to make both of them in order to force overtime. Giannis is not a good free throw shooter. I was watching this game with my dad and I said, there's no way he makes both. There's no way he makes both. Giannis, whenever I watch Bucks games, I find he usually misses the first free throw. So I was like, he's probably going to miss the first one. Uh, he shot the first free throw. He actually made it, but then went to shoot the, fir- the second free throw and he missed it short, hit the front rim. And that was all she wrote. Celtics got a big win. Also on Wednesday, the Toronto Raptors started their season off. Uh, they play the New Orleans Pelicans, who I think are going to be you know, a much improved team this year. They added some new pieces. They're young, so they're going to be more gelled than they were before. Uh, and unfortunately for Toronto, they lost 113-99. to Big game from Brandon Ingram, almost had a triple-double, 24 points, 11 assists, and 9 rebounds. Zion Williamson had himself a little bit of a game, 15 points, 10 rebounds for a double-double. Uh, and Lonzo Ball shot the ball pretty effectively. He was 4 from 8 for 3, 16 points, 5 rebounds, 2 assists. And speaking of threes, J.J. Redick was absolute cash flow. This man was 6 of 11 from 3, 23 points, and he was a big reason for you know New Orleans' success in that game. Uh, for Toronto, the leaders were you know Pascal Siakam had 20 points, Kyle Lowry had 18 points, uh, and then off the bench, Norm Powell and Chris Boucher each had 12 points. Not enough to lead them to the win, though. And then yesterday on Christmas Day, uh, two one of the big games was the Los Angeles Lakers took on the Dallas Mavericks. And the Lakers, you know, they started off the season 0 and 1, so they definitely wanted to come out and get a big game and win this game, which they did. Uh, they won 138 to 115. The big two of LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Put up a combined 50 points, so they went off in this one. Uh, 15 combined rebounds, 15 combined assists for the duo. Uh, they played really well. Dennis Schroeder had 18 points, and uh, Montrez Harrell off the bench had 22 points, so he did his thing as well. The other LA team was also active yesterday. The LA Clippers improved to 2 0 with a 121 108 win over the Denver Nuggets. Denver is now 0 2. Uh, you know, they're, they've been a strong team in the Western Conference for the past few years. But, you know, to start the season 0-2 is definitely not the look they wanted. But, you know, it is a long season, so I have no doubt that they'll, you know, turn it around and become a playoff team like we all expect they will. But, you know, nonetheless, credit to LA Clippers. They got a big win in this one. So that just about wraps it up for this week of the Triple S Podcast. I want to thank everyone for tuning in and uh, watching this episode. It really means a lot. Make sure you like this video. Comment if you have any thoughts or questions, or anything you want to say about the episode, and uh, share this with people that you think may enjoy it as well. So Merry Christmas to everyone. Again, thanks for watching, and we'll see you next time on the Triple S Podcast. Peace! Yeah, this be a life, no gimmick.